Welcome to the Voices of Healthcare Equity podcast. I'm Kim Tranquata, founder and CEO of Healthcare Alliance for an Equitable World and your host on this journey. Our organization, driven by clinicians, is on a mission to address global healthcare inequity using telehealth solutions. Together, we're building a community of healthcare professionals committed to making a scalable impact on global equity. Join me in insightful conversations with global health innovators as we explore the current and future state of healthcare. Be part of the mission. Let's create lasting change together. Today's episode features Dr. Mark David Monk. Dr. Monk is an emergency physician, fellowship trained in global health, whose career has taken him to various regions across the globe. He is the author of Urgent Calls from Distant Places, an emergency doctor's notes about life and death on the frontiers of East Africa. And this book will be released on January 30th, 2024. It is my great pleasure to welcome you, Dr. Monk, to our podcast. Thank you so much uh, for having me. I appreciate the invitation. Before we begin our conversation, we always give our guests the opportunity to upfront state any disclaimers they may have with affiliates or any needs to identify any conflicts. Nope, I have no financial conflicts, except for the fact I'm an author selling a book. Maybe that's a conflict, but that's the only one. That is fantastic. We can't wait to hear about it. Um, Please tell us a little bit, Mark, uh, this morning about your background and how you have come to be involved in issues of healthcare equity and global health. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you uh, again. So I'm an emergency physician. I've been at this for a number of years. Um, I really entered emergency medicine with a strong interest and background in global health. I had trained in it before I entered residency and over the years have stayed involved in some capacity or another with, um, with the global health. Uh, I, I wouldn't really call myself kind of a full-time uh, global health person. Clearly, there are people out there who are, you know, doctors without frontiers, full-time, really pushing on it. I'm a, I'm a little bit more of a um, interested part-timer. Uh, I've had a career that started in academic emergency medicine. Um, over the years, it really veered more into administration and particularly into value-based um, healthcare organizations in the United States. Uh, but I'd always maintained an interest and had my finger in global health. And about two years ago, I realized that I had over the years really collected a, a bunch of very interesting stories of my work as a flying doctor in Africa when I was there in 2008 and 2012. And I thought it was time to dust off those notes and put them down to paper because if I didn't, they would just evaporate. We would lose them. And they were, they were to my mind, really, really interesting stories of, of working in Africa. Uh, but the but the second part of of the reason I decided to write the book was because I realized in hindsight, and I think life works like this many times that it doesn't make sense looking forward, but it makes much sense looking backwards. I realized in hindsight that my time in Africa was in fact for me personally a pivotal time in helping me make decisions about how to steer my career. Um, and so that's that's really the background of the book. Um, it took some time to write, and it's ready to go. I really enjoyed um, reading the stories, um, the places you talk of, Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, Nigeria, um, 
we in our own organization are um, about to undertake um, some programs there. And it was really wonderful and interesting to read your perspective from a decade ago now. Um, it's amazing how much time has passed. You do tell some really um, touching and important stories, not just about patients and the work you were doing, but you um, also tie it into the geopolitical environment of the moment. What would you say is, um, and, and in the introduction to the book, um, you really speak about this experience bringing forth moral and ethical questions about colonialism, geopolitics, rationing of medicine. What do you think some of the themes and the takeaways you want people to have from the book are? You know, you touch on so so many of them, uh, and they're all so important. The the slight backstory to how we ended up in Africa was I was um, working as an academic emergency physician at a university hospital uh, and started really at an early age suffering from what in retrospect was moral injury, but of course we didn't really have the term to describe moral injury at the time. It was 2008. I think that's before the term really became well known. And uh, like many emergency physicians, we felt this inundation of patients with these complicated requirements that we really couldn't address properly in the emergency department, right? It was as though all of the dysfunction in American medicine was funneling into the ER as it always does, right? Whether it's skilled nursing facility problems, whether it's problems with inpatient beds, whether it's problems with crowding, lack of insurance. I mean, you know the routine, right? Um, They were ending up all of these patients in the ER, which it was, of course, one of the attractions for going into emergency medicine, but it was at, at such an accelerated rate, and there was just such a crush of, of needs that we couldn't ever really fully address competently, that I started experiencing really the signs of early burnout. So I was, even at a fairly young age, I was only a few years out of residency and fellowship, starting to experience the signs of, of burnout. Um, and I realized that I wanted to take a step back and really reevaluate my career, reevaluate what I was doing, what my priorities were. And there was this opportunity to go work in Africa for an organization called the AMREF Flying Doctor Service. It's um, it's an African NGO. It goes back to 1950s, um, founded by actually a bunch of reconstructive surgeons. Interesting story we can touch on later in the book. But they had over the years evolved from being doctors flying Cessnas and running clinics into really a modern day highly advanced aeromedical evacuation service, really to the point that they are the only game in town if you happen to be sick in the most remote parts of Africa. I mean, it's an organization that specializes in getting into dirt strips and uh, transporting patients from the most rural county hospitals and, and bringing patients primarily into Nairobi for treatment at the tertiary centers. And so there was this opportunity to go work there as a volunteer, and I realized that this was my opportunity to step back and just be an observer, be in an environment that was completely different from the one I was working in, um, go there as a stranger, unfamiliar with the way things work, and then really practice a much more intimate form of one-to-one medicine with the time to connect with patients on an individual basis or over a period of hours over the course of a long transport. And it just felt to me like that was, that was really what I wanted to do. The flip side was, 
that this opened this sort of a whole box of questions, which I struggled with at the time and I still struggle with today. But as you say, they, they are questions having to do with equity, questions having to do with how we should spend money in, in resource-constrained environment like Africa, uh, questions about which patients should receive services and which ones shouldn't, questions about the history of politics and the history of ec- economic pressures in certain countries, all sort of influencing the healthcare that we could deliver. And so the book that came out the other side, I, I don't know whether I have great answers for some of these questions, but what the book is designed to do is to really prompt people to start asking some of these questions, looking them side themselves in some cases. I love that, Mark. It's not that you're trying to provide answers in this book, but you're trying to open the door to asking the questions and having these important conversations that are going to be important if we're going to actually address healthcare equity. That brings me around to something you were saying about moral injury. In the U.S. healthcare system, you're experiencing um, this sense of not being able to help your patients in the way that you wanted to as a doctor, having more needs than could be addressed, not just in volume, but in also social determinants of health and other reasons you wouldn't be able to help the patient. But then I imagine you going to this resource, um, under-resourced healthcare systems, systems at large, Africa is a large continent with many, many countries. And I wonder how it is different that you don't have moral injury there because clearly there's more need than you can address there and there's even far fewer resources to address it. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, people, people sometimes ask, did you, did you come up with any great solutions to the American healthcare crisis in Africa? And the answer is really no. I mean, I think the one thing arguably that the Africans did better than the Americans was that there was absolute transparency with regard to pricing. I mean, there was a certain honesty to that. Right? So when you go to county hospitals in rural Africa, there is a sign posted outside, and they're very explicit about what the cost of a consultation is and what medications cost. When you're admitted to hospital, the doctor gives you a list, and you take the list to the pharmacy, and you come back with IV catheters and medications and IV fluids in a bag. Um, but for the most part, the government provides a lot of free services, the most basic services, certainly in Kenya. Um, and they're very transparent about what the pricing is, which, which to me having worked in the American system is a real relief because all of us have these patients who come in sick and we're, and they ask us how much things cost because healthcare is now bankrupting families, destroying lives. And we're unable to tell them, you know, any meaningful way what this visit's going to cost or what the services are going to cost. Or so from that perspective, you know, there was a, to my mind, a little bit more honesty to the African healthcare system, frankly, but that said, it had a completely different set of problems from the American one, and I think those are obvious. I mean, there's a absolute constraints on resources in Africa that we just don't have to the same extent in the United States, right? Lack of medicine, lack of workers, lack of nurses, um, you know, standards which really are not that high in many places. And so it's a different set of problems. But what I found in Africa was that they the problems were the environment was so different for me, and the problems that they raised were so different from the ones I was dealing with, um, that they opened the opportunity for some introspection. I found really there were, there were like sort of four moral questions that kind of kept coming up again and again in Africa. 
Um, the first one had to do with how we spent money. And so the most obvious example is when, when we flew into these, these countries in, in big King Air twin engine turboprops, and sometimes we had a Citation jet to take us to the larger cities, and we had bush planes. I mean, each of these aircrafts are in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars, each aircraft. The cost of the fuel alone for these transports is in the thousands of dollars. The staffing costs, the medical costs. You know, and, and there, were, there are cases in the book, and, and you may have read some of these stories, but we would show up in some of the most rural hospitals with incredibly sick patients in wards that, that, are, that stretch for acres, right? Just line after line of bed after bed after bed. And we would find the one bed for the one patient who we would pluck out and intubate and transfer to Nairobi. And as you walked out, of course, you looked and you're like, these patients are equally sick, but somehow we're unable to provide top caliber aeromedical transportation to these patients. We can for this one patient I have in front of me. The question kept coming up, and I refer to this sort of as the star thrower issue, which which refers back to um, the old parable about the guy walking along the beach um, and the tide has gone out and there's there's all the sea life dying on the on the beach. And uh, the star thrower grabs a star and throws it into the ocean and some guy comes up to him and says, why are you throwing a single starfish back into the ocean? It makes no sense. It's a Lauren Isley um, book, the, the, the American um, uh, the writer. That's uh, really his story. But, but the answer is, from the person throwing the stars in, it matters a lot to that one particular starfish. And the way I started to justify this was it does no good to, as they say, you know, chop, chop the head off the tall poppy, right? Here they had a really high-functioning aeromedical service that was saving lives on a daily basis of the most critically ill patients in Africa. And sabotage that service in the name of some sort of amorphous concept of distributing money, maybe for some better basic services or vaccinations or whatever, is a stretch. Because to my mind, there's this whole execution piece of, yes, you've canceled the air ambulance service and you want to use the money for something different. But of course, it's so hard to execute programs. There's no guarantee the money shows up where it's supposed to anyway. So, so I struggled. That was the first ethical conundrum. Right, whether this was how to spend money. And the way, what I walked away with was it matters a lot to that starfish. Like if you happen to be sick uh, in a rural hospital dying of malaria and there's an opportunity to transfer you to Nairobi and your life will be saved, it matters that there's a functioning air ambulance service. You know, end of story, right? Um, unless you're a policymaker, and I'm not. I'm just a doctor, right? And uh, your reflections on burnout are interesting because what you um, – you know, say about the burnout that led to you going to do what arguably is even more difficult work with the air ambulance and the flying doctors in Africa, that the solution to burnout wasn't necessarily doing easier work, different work, or less work. It was finding meaning and seeing the impact of the work you were doing? Oh, 100%. I mean, I'm so glad you've, you've picked that up. That's, that, that was exactly the point. When we went to medical school, we learned that healthcare was really kind of a sacred trust and that there was something very important about the doctor-patient relationship. Um, and that's really, I think, what sustained certainly me in the early days of my training was that you would have these patients and they would be incredibly grateful and they'd be dependent upon you to help partner with them to make them better. And there was something sacred about that relationship. And when I became a young attending doctor, things started to feel very transactional. It was about 
private equity groups owning large ED staffing companies. It was about, you know, the number of visits per hour. It was about RVUs. It was about moving patients as quickly as you can to beds. It was about, you know, spending a lot of money in illogical ways because you just didn't have time to really think about the patient that was in front of you. And I realized that to, for me, the important thing was to try to get back to the basics, which was sitting with one patient, preferably a really sick patient who desperately needed me, uh, and spending hours with them and learning the story and being exposed to the back, you know, where do they come from? Why are they here? What can I do for them to help? To me, that was so affirming, right? It, and I really did at that point reaffirm my decision to go into medicine. The punchline being I ended up with a different type of medicine that I started with, but that was that was really what propelled me was that intimate relationship um, in Africa, paradoxically. And I hear something else as you're speaking, Mark, that volume does play a role. So we, when people say burnout, um, a lot of times people are using burnout nowadays, especially post-COVID, to relate it to various types of work stress that are related to working at high volumes or high speeds, et cetera. And I don't want people to take what we just said, which is it's not a, that you have to work less, but you have to find meaning and come away with the idea that volume doesn't matter. I think volume does matter. As I was reading your book, there were these intense moments, as you said, where you were doing much harder work with fewer resources and really having to use all of your skills to improvise. This is what we love in emergency medicine. For those that are old enough to remember MacGyver, we like to MacGyver our way through finding something that's going to make a difference in the situation. But in between that, you had breaks, time to reflect and appreciate the impact, and even more importantly, time to be in a two-way relationship with your patients where you could also learn from them and um, exchange an interaction and a, a learning from them. And it wasn't a matter of moving through the care as fast as you could. They say with, with burnout, there's this concept of depersonalization where you lose the sense that there's actually a human in front of you uh, and you become sort of the, like Lucy, have you ever seen that, uh, that sort of old Lucy clip of uh, Lucy trying to package the chocolates, right? And there's this conveyor belt and the, and the conveyor belt's moving too quickly and Lucy can't keep up. You start to feel like that, I think, in, if you don't watch out in emergency medicine because the, the patients just come one after the other and there's the sense that you're just a technician kind of cranking through. And of course, as you say, the, the relationship with the patient in the context is so important because we're all curious people, doctors. I mean, we, you know, we're not veterinarians and we're not bench scientists. We went into medicine because we like people for the most part. Maybe pathologists don't like people so much, but the rest of us, certainly in emergency medicine, we really like people and we like their stories and it gives us a sense of affirmation to get to know their stories and to live almost vicariously through their trials. Um, and so that's what I missed in, in modern day emergency medicine. It was a lot of the same unfixable issues coming back again and again. And so this was just something new and different. And 
I, I thought it was such a transformative experience because I, I ran across these patients who were living these lives I would never have imagined before. And people from, from you know, this remarkable stories of sort of transporting a child uh, who had never been in a car. The, 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 the child had been actually hit in a rural village with a car, was suffering internal bleeding. His parents, for the first time, managed to wave down a car and they put the child in the car. He'd never been in a car before. And he was taken to the airstrip and the parents, neither the child nor the parents had ever seen an airplane or been on an airplane. And this was this like wide-eyed experience. And it was, it was a touching moment because, you know, the child was very sick. I didn't speak the mother's language. None of us did. They, they spoke a regional dialect. And here was this mother sort of handing over her young child to me who was desperately sick and trusting that I as a doctor would do the right thing for this child. We didn't speak the language, completely different uh, cultural backgrounds different religious backgrounds, different belief systems. I mean, we shared nothing in common except for the fact that there was this kind of confidence that you as a doctor would do the right thing for my child. And it was like the pure distillation of what doctoring was supposed to be about. Thank you for that. Um, I don't think you're suggesting that everybody could have this experience in order to um, have some perspective and burnout. But we're going to take a break. And when we come back... We will continue this conversation with Dr. Monk and his amazing book, Urgent Calls from Distant Places. <laughs> 